Welcome to Inside the Firm, a podcast dedicated to small business owners and hosted by entrepreneurs, Alex Gore and Lance Psycho. Each week, they take you on their journey of how to start, run, and grow a business by bringing you inside their architecture and real estate development firm. Get a behind-the-scenes tour of how these business leaders manage their clients and foster company culture while creating new and innovative projects. And now your host, Alex Gore and Lance Psycho. Welcome to another episode of Inside the Firm. I am Alexander Keith Gore. Lance Punam Psycho That's is right. here with us, joining us with his pleasant aurora and everything about him. Aura, not aura, aurora. Aura. Not, not aurora. Aurora, Colorado. Yep. Aurora Borealis. Uh, if <clears throat> you like this episode, I know what you're going to like. You're going to like Revit Rocket Ship. Because it's that kind of humor coming at you, but teaching you something awesome. Jeez, can you imagine like enjoying yourself while you're learning something? Amazing. Yeah. While just getting better at the skill that you do every day. Heck yeah. Well, if, if you're interested in that, go check out RevitRocketShip.com. I also want you to check out Arcat.com as more businesses and tenants demand green design in their buildings. Lead certification is more important than ever. And while Arcat is known for is known for being red, they can help you go green. Arcat provides thousands of lead reports from building product manufacturers on how their products can help make the green choice that's right for your project. Head over to Arcat.com and find the information you need for lead. That's A-R-C-A-T dot com. I also want you to check out Pella Luxury. A world-class collection of brands brought together to provide window and door solutions to the building industry and beyond. Duratherm and Riley are the true pioneers of industry. They are doing what no one else has done, building and designing beyond the status quo. These brands do not push beyond the limits. They set them. Explore PellaLuxury.com forward slash the firm. That's PellaLuxury.com forward slash the firm today to check out those wonderful products and how they can work for your project today. Back to you, Mr. Al Gore. Well, Lance, what do you mean if you bought a land you can't build on? So this is episode 283 of Inside the Firm, and uh, the title of it is Just Because You Bought It Doesn't Mean You Can Build On It. And so uh, I don't know if you know this, Al, but you and I are working on uh, two houses in the same development and uh, up in the mountains there in Colorado, and we are dealing with an HOA that has some interesting rules and regulations, and I wanted to talk about the spirit of that, uh, of what we are seeing behind those kind of rules and regulations, why we think they're in place. And then there's another project that Rebecca and I are working on where we are finding all kinds of issues right away in just the investigation of the property on what we can and cannot do. So part of this is for, I think, architects, obviously, who listen to this show, uh, just kind of a, a heads up about sort of maybe our approach, but also why I think it's so important that obviously the first thing you should be doing is site investigation. Yep. Be to be, you know, from visiting it to actually then calling the planners, trying to understand all the restrictions involved with it, setbacks, how far a, if you're building in a rural area like we are on all three of these projects, designing and building is, you know, septic take, uh, setbacks from certain things. Uh, do, is there a well on site? Uh, where are you going to be able to put an approach in? And, and, and overall that stuff. But then the second half of it, I think part, part of it is if you're an owner listening to this and we do have owners that listen to the show sometimes they hire us uh because they they they, they like what they hear or whatever 
but this is also for people that are considering buying a piece of land. If you're an architect, you, you should be doing your due diligence. Like that's just part of what you do every day. But if you're an owner, you might overlook some of these things. And I think they're important to bring up. Okay. What are the ones? Okay. So <clears throat> back to the projects that in the development that Al and I are working on. But the property I'm working on is 20 acres. How big is yours? Just curious. Any oh. idea? 10, 20? Huge. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah. Probably around the same. Yeah. 10 plus. 10 yep. plus acres. So big pieces of property. And uh, so uh, on, uh, the issue that we're running into with the current HOA rules, um, we think the HOA rules are in place for a good reason. And that good reason is the idea behind them is I don't think they want to see uh, like the spaceship house. And if anybody knows what that is, just Google, pause, Google the spaceship house, Colorado. It is a super uber modern, very, very futuristic looking house. It's like uber white. Just imagine a spaceship that's a house. And they probably don't want any of these new Beverly Hills mansions that are going up that are big glass, white boxes. Yep. Yep. That are just dominating the landscape. Yeah. That's, I think, the conclusion I'm trying to get to with this little segment or, or with this part of it is I don't think they want houses that dominate and then are obfuscating the environment. They want them to blend with it. Mm-hmm. So the knee-jerk reaction and sort of the default that we're seeing in this particular HOA and other ones too, even mine is like this. Like my HOA where I designed my modern house is all comes down to, I think the default position is, oh, we don't want those things that Alan Lance just described. Great. It's got to be a pitch roof. Yep. Like that's the baseline. It's got to be whatever pitch it is, right? So in this instance, it's it's they're really restrictive. They're saying between 10 a 10 12 and a two and a 12 12 pitch. So like imagine a 45 degree angle. Yep, right? They also don't want this kooky architecture that just is ugly, you know, doesn't make any sense um and and, and that's why something like, that's not timeless. You know, something that is like that's what I think of when I think of kooky. Yep, exactly. Yeah. So, they've come up with these regulations, <clears throat> but the problem is again, this is sort of speaking now to the owner. The owner, I don't know if the owners have actually seen or if they if they really knew what they were buying in terms of that portion of the HOA, they obviously knew the property. You know, I visited my site. Al visited his site. They're breathtaking. They're beautiful. You can imagine. It's like you get to see the Alpines of Colorado every single day. They're secluded. It's like exactly what you would want to buy. So they're buying these pieces of property. But I'm and but there's a lot to buying a piece of property. And part of that investigation should be like, well, what can you actually build? on it and the problem is is that if then clients are coming to us or your firm and they are coming to you because you have a certain style that you've developed in a portfolio that they like right for us it's the eastwatch house and the eastwatch house series um so we've done a bunch of these kind of style of homes where they're like these very low sloping um ranch style houses they can have like a, a walkout but they're certainly not dominating the site Yep, there's still rustic materials, authentic materials, real materials, not fake um, yeah. vinyl or anything like that. So it's it's your job then as the architect. That's what we think anyway, and that's what kind of the the approach we're taking is like understand, like w- w- try to decipher what is the overall goal with these rules that they are trying to achieve, and it's not trying to dominate the site. It's trying to blend in with it. And the default position of people who are not designers is, okay, roof pitches. Well, 
we we feel like the houses that we design can do that, can still not dominate the landscape, blend in, work with it, follow the principles of Frank Lloyd Wright, where you're like building into the side of the hill, you're not dominating nature, all of those sort of sorts of things, even with a low slope roof. Um, so from an owner standpoint, I think that's that's my point with this. And then from an architect standpoint, I think there's a certain amount of like, you're going to have to have some guts with it and present, you know, the, understand your clients, first of all, like what, what do the clients want? Well, ours, specifically mine, I can't speak with yours, is like they came to us because they wanted that look. Mm-hmm. They wanted that modern. So, and I want to do that too. And after visiting the site, it feels like this is what the site wants. Like there's nothing about the site that's, to me, mine anyway, that says, I actually think there's more domination that would occur if I have to do these pit- these high pitches. Right, because it's getting taller, it's getting more obstructing views, all that. So I, I, I'm on the same board with yeah. the same type of client. I have another example I wanted to share with everybody, and that is, uh, so it's uh, this, this house is also going to be designed on a, p- a piece of property in that's not as big um it's sort of like an acre or something like that and on it's a weird triangular shape and i don't think the owner i i don't fault the owners for not like going in calling the planning department that's our job like that's our job is to really decipher and do the investigation first but what we've uncovered so far is for instance this piece of property if it's a triangular piece of property. So therefore, and we've, we've done a, we've, you know, jazz house was designed. If you go to our website and take a look at F9 productions forward slash jazz house, you'll see that is that that house we designed on a triangular piece of land. So again, I'm dealing with another triangular piece of land. I already know that one of the reasons why it's probably sold for maybe a cost effective price was like, it's a triangular piece of land. So the, the owner probably knew that it's going to be difficult to build. So they're going to have to be able to drop the price. To get well through the investigation, we found that we have to have a thirty-foot setback from each each three sides of the triangle, and that leaves us with no room to build whatsoever. Yeah, so it's probably not even an acre site if that's true. Exactly. Yeah. The other thing that we uncovered is that uh, that the septic tank has to be if you if you do a septic with a leach field, yep, it's got to be two hundred feet away from the structure you build. The property lines are 100 feet. The only other option that is possible is you can put a septic tank on that can get un- unloaded. So just just septic yeah. with a tank, no leach field. That can be within your within the boundaries that we've established, but you can only use the, the, the cabin, essentially, on weekends and holidays. So all of these things, so I think like if you, my recommendation to owners is, I don't actually recommend that you go in and look at, like, yes, if you feel, if, you, if you're one of those top-notch owners and you've maybe built before and you're not intimidated by the government, go in and do your research. But even if you do that, I think you should still hire an architect. Yes. Right away, maybe just put them on an hourly retainer, 500 to 1000 bucks. That should get you a half a day's worth of investigation yep. to a day, and they'll be able to tell you more things that maybe that you weren't even that the planners weren't even thinking about. Yep, they'll ask those kind of questions and make sure everything's cinched up. I would do that during your du- during your due diligence period. Yes, before you close on it, I have something that 
not only should you look at if you're buying a new land and building a new house on, but if you're buying an existing house. You want to know what that Interesting. is? Interesting. I think this is key. And this is like a pet peeve of mine. What's allowed to go on the land next to me? Mm. <laughs> because think about this and you'll follow this logic. So you buy something and then let's say in like 10 years, they're going to build a shopping center next to you. Mm-hmm. You get all up in arms. Mm-hmm. You will literally like be Your wife comments, is like, I'm going to move. <laughs> there'll be comments like this is a surprise. What's going on? It might be a surprise to you, but from the planning department, like that was always zoned so that a shopping center could go there. Like I'm just making up a shopping center. Like this isn't new to anyone else but you. So for you to then like say, you know, protest that they can't build something there. Like, did you look what is across the field from you across like, and then just think, Hey, maybe things will change in the future. What can that be? It, you know? Yeah. Stay ahead of the curve if you can. Again, maybe hire an architect after you've done your due diligence. It can it can hurt. That's where I would start with it. Um, okay, well, moving on. Uh, there was some interesting news yesterday that came out that obviously affects then what we do because we're doing a lot of residential here, and maybe you are too if you're listening. CNN, believe it or not, look at us. Fair and balanced, right? Is that what they are? Are they the real news? I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> Mortgage rates plunge. Largest weekly drop since 1981. Struck me. I know Al was surprised. Yep. Uh, so if you're watching on YouTube, we've got a little article pulled up. Mortgage rates dropped sharply last week following a series of economic reports that indicate inflation may finally be easing. The 30-year fixed rate mortgage averaged 6.61 in the week ending November 17. We're recording this on November 18, 2022, down from 7.08 the week before, according to Freddie Mac, the largest weekly drop since 1981. A year ago, the 30-year fixed rate stood at 3.1%. I know. (laughs) Wow. Um, So mortgage rates, as everybody knows, or they should know, have risen throughout most of 2022, spurred by the Federal Reserve's unprecedented campaign of hiking interest rates in order to tame the soaring inflation. Um, So do you want to know why they dropped out? Yeah, explain it to me like a a four-year-old. Okay, I will. A four-year-old. Remember that. Yeah, I I will do that. Uh, so the idea is is that it dropped because inflation appears to be easing. So I did I didn't know that I heard that either. So like who knows what happened? I I kind of predicted this that like they would play even funnier games after the election. Yes, sir, you're raising your hand, Mr. Al Gore. So the people that are making the mortgage rate, yeah, looked around and said inflation might be going down. We'll just drop the rate that we're charging. Just like we'll just make the decision. That's what you're telling me as more I or am less, a four-year-old. More or less. Got Investors it. saw last week's lower-than-expected CPI data as an indication that the Federal Reserve may make smaller interest rates hikes in the month hikes in the month ahead. Said yeah, George it should be point five. Realtors manager, yeah, Realtor.com's manager of economic research. While the Fed does not set interest rates, borrowers pay on mortgage directly. Its actions influence them. Mortgage rates tend to track the yield on a ten-year U.S. Treasury bonds. As investors see or anticipate rate hikes, they make moves which send yields higher and and mortgage rates rise. The 10-year Treasury dropped from 4.1% last Wednesday to 3.68% as capital markets seem to cheer the slowdown in inflation as a sign of the Federal Reserve's monetary tightening is having in its intended effect. Even though inflation data is moving in the right direction, the Fed said 
It does not expect to back off raising rates until inflation gets closer to the desired 2%. And so I believe, so uh, I, I don't know if they go on to say, yeah, they don't go on to say if um, basically that like what the rate was, what CPI was. I can't even, I'm going to look it up real quick here. Yeah. I, it's still north of 7%. Boom. There at the end of the article it says it's still north of 7%. So like that's a lot. They have a, they have five points to go to get it to two percent. Holy cow! I don't know. I mean, they just gotta wait the time. They don't have. <laughs> come on, just yeah. Wait for the cheering. It looks like you got something here. I huh? do, I do. So this is a article from Yahoo Financing. Existing home sales fall for ninth straight month in October. Mm. So sales of previously owned homes declined. 5.9% in October from the previous month to a seasonal adjusted annual rate of 4.3 million. This was slightly better than the 6.6% month over month decline uh, economists surveyed by Bloomberg estimated. So overall, sales were down 28.4% year over year. Now look at this graph. Lance. Yeah. This is number of holds homes sold in the u.s i see it um the most recent peak in october 2020 was about 6.7 uh, million mm-hmm. back in 2005 it was at 7.6 mm-hmm. right now it is jumped down to about 4.4 million yep which to hit that number not counting the where everything stopped when COVID hit right mm-hmm. we'd have to go to about 2012 mm. 2012 is about where that was before. I also think multifamily, uh, I think there's somewhat of a conspiracy in the sense of it's more profitable for big businesses for you to rent the homes from them. So they're pushing multifamily in policy, in business, in everything um, because the amount of equity you can make on your home or home, why wouldn't they want that in their multifamily? Right. Um, so that's why if you look from literally the, the 2000s, 1999, mm-hmm. all the way to 2005, which yeah. isn't even the recession. The recession is like 08, 09. Yeah. It was charting upwards. And it um, and then, yeah, 05 is, is the decline in, in housing construction. Yeah. Which is crazy. Um, so we haven't, other than 2012, like, it looks like in the 90s, we are building more houses than this. Yeah. Some of them. Yep. Got it. Good to keep in mind. Well, uh, last but certainly not least, we have uh, somebody special back to read for us. Al, did you know that? Good. I'm glad. Here it is. Nick with Nick Reed. Hello, best friends. I hope you all had a great week this week. Friends. I've been in a dark place. I lost my way. Hope was gone. And as I considered the end, through the fog, a hand was extended to me. And friends, bravely, I grabbed that hand and was pulled to the light. And as the light shined upon my face for the first time in more days than I can remember, I saw in that man's other hand a fishing rod. And friends, as I looked up at that man's beautiful eyes, I recognized him. It was our own Lance Keiko. 
Yes, friends, Lance saved me. He showed me the light. I was reborn. I am a fisherman. Or, or, every Friday for the past few months, I have been on my construction site playing contractor. It's really your choice. Pitter-patter. A reading. I'm a big believer that a small number of exceptional people can be highly motivated and can do better than a large number of people who are pretty good and moderately motivated. That's my philosophy. Unaccredited. Toodles! Nick, it's so good to hear from you. Yes, yes, I didn't. First know that. of all, it's very good to hear from you. Yeah, yeah, that first part, that ode to Lance, we'll call it. Um, but yes, a a small group can move a lot faster. If you want to move very far, then all of a sudden you need to work on edge cases, and then the group gets bloated. But you're no longer going fast. Um, that's adapted from someone else was an original spot. That's all I have, Lance. Uh, I just want to, let's see here. Elon Musk about Twitter. Da, 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 da. I, I was trying to find out how many, um, employees I, it's hard to tell like how many employees he's actually laid off at Twitter so far, Mr. Elon, but I'm getting, I'm getting mixed messages on, um, on the Twitter that, uh, and I sent this to, I think I sent this to Al this morning. So somebody yesterday was saying, uh, at stock talk tweak weekly on Twitter, uh, there are only, this was last night, there are only 238 employees remaining at Twitter HQ, which is insane. And and, and then they said, if accurate, this wor- this would account for a greater than 90% part of the Twitter workforce. And then I sent this to Al, so you guys better learn to weld, right, Al? Right. Uh, I sent this to Al this morning, and it said, oh, this guy, he said, uh, he's at sweaty startup. Breaking. Musk is now running Twitter with less than 50 key employees down for 7,500 at its peak. Um, so uh, that's, it all ties in today. It's amazing. If he's getting it done, congratulations. Um, yeah. And we don't know what we have what, no idea. Uh, we have, no I don't idea. understand if it's true or not. All yep. I know is Twitter shutdown is trend trending in the United States right now with 16,000 tweets. Yep. And Musk is trending with 1.16 million tweets. So he's he's moving, he's shaking. Um, I think the moral of the story is this, overall, is that if you, especially as we head into these weird, weird times economically, you need to make sure that you're learning to do more with less. That includes, so if you're, if you're listening to this, you're running a firm, RevitRocketShit.com is your friend for that. And then the second thing you need to do is make sure that you have a longevity of an, an extension of cash flow, consider architectsguide2.com, make the leap to become an architect builder, then you'll uh, be in uh, Nick's shoes and our shoes, and you'll be in good shape. But hopefully you'll also make still time for fishing and whatever Al does on his free time. Who knows? Yeah, That's all we got. All right, see ya. Thanks for listening.